You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! All the hitters out there, man. I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. Tua, shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown! Again. It's Waddle! His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of, of the day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, it is a game preview edition of the DT Pod. Back to our regularly scheduled podcast here on Thursday. We'll take a deep dive into the tape, into the numbers and the matchups as we go position by position to get you ready for Christmas Day and the only game at 1 o'clock on the NFL Sunday schedule. Dolphins and Packers plus what's at stake and the three keys to victory from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is... The Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. Always enjoy the intro to our pods here with a little walk down recent memory lane of the incoming opponent, specifically against the NFC team since we only see them once every presidential presidential election. The Packers have been the model of stability for a long time. They've had two quarterbacks since 1992 with the occasional spot starter and a few games missed by Rodgers here and there. Their head coach arrived in 2019 and won 13 games all three years ahead of this 6-8 and eight campaign currently. A loss on Sunday removes them from the playoff equation, and with the Vikings clinching last week, it's the first year under Matt LaFleur that they won't win the NFC North. And Brian Gutekunst was there a year earlier in 2018. And that was one of those rare retool type of eras for a successful organization. We saw Baltimore do it between Flacco and Jackson, but the Packers didn't change quarterbacks. Now, Rodgers did have some injuries in 2017 and 2018 that forced him to miss nine games in 17. And the one in 2018 didn't make him miss any games, but he just wasn't the same. And the Packers went 6-9-1 and that year. And then they came right back and got back to being, you know, Aaron Rodgers of old. That's, that's when they drafted Jordan Love, right? The next year after that. So it's been it's been a lot of good years for the Packers, and especially when Matt LaFleur got there, who won 39 games over three seasons, one championship game appearance, two trips to the divisional round. I mean, we haven't done that since 2001. Now, I would take three straight 13-win seasons any day of the week. But to go two and three in the playoffs in those years, with the wins being over a Seahawks team who limped in in 2019 and a Rams team in 2020, was it 2020? Yeah, I think it was 2020, who had a hobbled Jared Goff that backed into the postseason that year, and ultimately that kind of end of the year led to his departure with the Rams. And then last year's one and done against the 49ers. And two of those losses came against two. Yeah, that same team, the 49ers. There's a lot of intrigue there to see if McDaniel can kind of continue what's been a personal hell for the Packers and Matt LaFleur going up against a Shanahan, or in this case, a Mike McDaniel team. And of course, this is a team that has long been known for building through the draft up and down the offensive roster. Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Alan Lazard, even Randall Cobb after leaving and coming back. 
all drafted by the Packers. Same up front with Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers. This defense is a little different because they nabbed Rasul Douglas after he was cut from the Eagles last year, and he has a monster, like, one-year out-of-nowhere type of season and gets the big extension, and it's been a tough road for him this year. Devondre Campbell signed, you know, basically like a come-to-camp-and-see-what-happens type of one-year deal back in 2021, and he parlayed that into an all-pro year and a massive contract extension with the Green Bay Packers. They had imported a pair of dominant edge rushers in free agency a couple years ago with Preston Smith and Zadarius Smith, and that was kind of the, to me, the linchpin of this defense becoming almost the strength of the football team in some ways uh, during those 13-win seasons. They also signed Jerron Reed to the defensive line, Adrian Amos in the defensive backfield, and that free agent capital was used to supplement some more good drafting you know, brought in some dominant figures in Kenny Clark and Jair Alexander and a handful of several more really good players like Darnell Savage and Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt. Why don't we go ahead and talk about that game up coming up here? But first, a 6-8 and eight team that I don't think has played really good football this year. It's a defense that doesn't really rotate, you know, at the to disguise their zone coverages all that often they don't always carry and pass off there's lots of busts in coverage you see on tape and they're often scrambling to make up for blitzes that just don't get home and offensively the line's been uh, up and down all year they're very young at wide receiver and Rodgers just hasn't clicked with those young targets as separation downfield's been a big issue their wins bears and they beat the bucks by two points back in september they beat Bailey Zappi and the Patriots in overtime in October. They scored an impressive win against the Cowboys after a five-game losing streak. And then they beat the Bears and the Rams, who both have really <laughs> kind of punted on the season. Uh, so we'll see what happens on Sunday. Let's go ahead and talk about the matchups. Dolphins offense versus Packers defense and the quarterback and offense for Miami versus the safety and the defense of the Green Bay Packers. Now we saw Tua enjoy a really nice bounce-back game. Uh, on Saturday night and I thought was one of his best tapes against the Buffalo Bills thought he made great decisions I thought he identified what the Bills were doing and often had the right spot in mind and led an offense that piled up over 400 yards in a cold weather game it's a great morale boost type of performance even if it didn't result and wind up where we wanted it to on the scoreboard and we might need that cold weather operation again this week because there's a cold front coming in and these South Florida cold fronts are crazy to me. <laughs> like last year at Wiffle Blast, the uh, Jason Taylor Foundation Wiffle Ball Tournament, which was won by the OJ McDuffie team and myself on that club, by the way, it was in the low 40s and windy and just downright not fun, except for the fact that we won and heated up as the day went along and got that trophy and route an undefeated day. But man, these things show up like an unwanted knock at the door, the drop-in guest, your in-law coming over that you didn't ask to come over. Friday has a temperature range of 63 to 81 degrees, which is pretty typical. And I was just out by the practice field earlier uh, this week. And at practice time, it was a cool 72 degrees, man. Then you wake up on Saturday and it goes to 50 to 63 degrees. And this last part has been shifting all week. But at the time that I'm writing this, the Sunday weather calls for a 70% chance of rain with thunderstorms and a range of 47 to 56 degrees. That is cold for down here, man. And man, you look at Wisconsin this week, it's in the single digits. Would have been nice to have them go from like nine degrees to mid seventies, but I digress. So the Packers defense is defined by two things from my tape watch. And those are 
They blitz a lot, the second highest rate in football, and they play primarily zone coverage, usually cover three. It's actually the fourth most in the National Football League using cover three. Let's go ahead and roll out the tail of the tape here. And the 3-4 defense is 23% of the time and a 4-3 defense 6% of the time. So a decent number of hybrid reps there. And the big takeaway for me is they're in base, you know, 30% of the time. They are in nickel 68% of the time, which is, yeah, it's pretty pretty much on par with 11 personnel for opposing offenses. And they also roll out their dime defense on 3% of their defensive calls. Number of high safeties pre-snap, very even here. 49 plays and cover zero. Otherwise, it's 52% too high and 42% one high. But they don't really rotate. It's like almost the same thing every time. We'll talk about that here in just a second. I mentioned the 35.8% blitz rate is the second highest. Their 23.6% pressure rate is ninth in the NFL. And those numbers really flipped in that Rams game. They blitzed Mayfield just four times and produced 13 pressures. And, you know, granted, the Rams offensive line has been probably one of the worst units in the National Football League this year as they have gone through attrition like nobody's business on that offensive line. And it's basically derailed their season. So the Packers found a way to, to capitalize on that and get a W in a game that was really tilted in their favor in prime time in a cold weather you know spot uh, against a, a team from Los Angeles that's awfully banged up and on a quarterback who still just got there two weeks ago. But before that game, they had a 38% blitz rate. So that dropped like by 2%, which is a lot this late in the season. And a 22% pressure rate, which increased by almost 2% which is also a lot this time of year. So improvement in that pressure rate without sending the extra rusher, it's a big deal. And Matt LaFleur said in a press conference earlier this week that they have to find a way to get pressure on Tua Tungavailoa. Now, does that mean blitz him? Does that mean hope to win with three and four rushers? Well, he's not going to tell us that, obviously, but I think it's very interesting to see how they attack this. I don't know. Primarily, it's a cover three defense, and man, there are soft spots all over the zone on tape. Uh, they play 40% in cover three, which again is the fourth most in all of football, and it's just like it, it when you watch the games on tape, there's like this delayed reaction, which against this Dolphins offense, like... <laughs> It's not going to bode well if, if it keeps up in this game. That three-deep shell typically consisted of Eric Stokes, but he's out, so it's been Keyshawn Nixon filling in for him, and then Darnell Savage and Jair Alexander as the deep thirds coverage, and the two perimeter corners are, are Nixon and Alexander, with the free safety being Savage. Their strong safety is Adrian Amos, who will start in that two-high look and most often rotate down Often the conflict defender, kind of that guy that buzzes, you know, that that whip route by Jalen Waddle that, that led to a sack we didn't throw, those quick crossers, those nows, those slants, those types of things. He wants to be involved in that fashion. And he's been slower both in the, I think, the processing, but also on the step, the physical step aspect of it this year, uh, turning age 30 this season. But he's often the conflict defender in addition to the linebackers. And this coverage scheme with those three deep shells, like keep the roof on the house, run back, it puts a lot of conflict on Amos and those linebackers in that middle portion of the field. We'll get to their coverage numbers in the running back and linebacker section. They played cover two on just 30 total snaps uh, out of more than 800 so you know that too high will typically change after the snap but like it does rotate but you you kind of know what it's going to do and that's another reason why I think Tua dices in this game not a lot of disguise and man when he knows what he's got and he has a good pocket I'm literally taking him over every quarterback in the NFL under those circumstances and you might get those circumstances in this game on Sunday when both safeties stay high it's usually quarters or cover six which we can run by. We've proven that like a zero or a, I should say 
you know, like a zero blitz, all four guys just kind of back off and we throw Tyreek deep past them or that cover six, you have some options in the, in the deep, or I should say the intermediate portion of the field, those over routes to waddle uh, that we've seen all year have success. I think we'll see a lot of man coverage in this game though, because that's where they've excelled at times. And that's the only really potential blueprint for slowing Miami. But I don't know. I think they'll play man and blitz and hope to get home with that extra rusher and disrupt timing underneath in the, in the meantime, which is why I think fans are going to be in for an aerial show on Sunday. Either way, really, I think Miami's going to have its biggest passing day of the season in this one, including some long plays. That's my take this week. That would be a departure from their norm to play that much man coverage because, again, typically cover three uh, when blitzing, and that means Tua has to find those hots, those hitches, those glances, those now routes to the perimeter. You look at the Packers passing bins on defense. Teams are completing 80% of their passes outside the numbers and inside 10 yards. That's cover three textbook, right? Like that's where the vulnerability is in a cover three defense, short outside. They're also completing better than 55% in the 10 to 19 yard range outside the numbers. That's like a 12% jump over league average because a tough spot to throw the football to. And against this cover three, you can push them back and then run those comeback routes. And if Tua can see it and anticipate it, you can get some nice completion just based upon the scheme. This is why I love doing this each week because you have your expectation or what makes sense to you or whatever. But football coaches are smart, man. Like they adapt and teams can show their flexibility in any given week. The Packers literally did it three days ago against the Rams. So we mentioned that the safeties don't do a ton of, you know, interchanging of their responsibilities. So for Tua to get the pre-snap check and make his post-snap decisions from what he has there has been a pretty solid approach this season. I was watching the Buffalo game and someone on Twitter told me that he missed a wide open Tyreek Hill on that opening, the, the first field goal drive of the game. It was drive number two, the sack on third and one down by the red zone. I'm like, that's not what happened on that play. Uh, <laughs> what, it, what it was, was the middle of the field was closed by a safety who planted right in the middle of the field. And Tyreek runs a post at the safety. That's an indicator right away, pre-snap, that you're not throwing. You don't throw slants or, or posts to middle of the field closed. You just don't do it. And the pre-snap motion showed man coverage to the boundary, which is why Waddle ran that whip route. And so Tua pre-snap says, I'm not going the slant. I know I have the man coverage. And he was going to throw it there. But Teron Johnson, who's a great player, buzzes that route and takes it away. And then the rush got home. So maintain that type of processing on a snap-by-snap basis, and you'll eventually get yours. That was a good call and a good play by the Bills. But the point is, Tua, to me, is right back to where he was before that slump seeing the field very well. And as it pertains to the safeties pre-snap alignments and their numbers, Adrian Amos, 40% in the post, 60% in the box. For all their blitzing, they don't do a lot of it with the safeties. He's got nine pass rush reps, but five pressures on those nine. He's also got 19 run stops and teams are 27 for 35 for a buck 88 and six touchdowns with no picks targeting him. That's kind of some of the zone getting lost in coverage back there, particularly in the red zone. You'll see this trend. A lot of really good players are having kind of career worst years in this system, and it's year two of Joe Barry's defense. I don't know why that's the case, but it's what's what you see on tape. And then Darnell Savage, 60% in the post, 40% in the box, but the run stop number indicated who winds up where more frequently, just two on the year for Savage. He plays away from the football, mostly because... That's just what he's best at. He has 10 pass rush reps this year and no pressures. Teams are 17 for 26 with 271, two touchdowns and no picks this season on him. And then Rudy Ford's played a lot of football at the third safety spot. 30, 343 snaps. That's 
a little less than half of their snaps. He's the big nickel, dime safety type, nine for 15 in coverage for 75 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. He's got more picks than the other two guys combined. Uh, Receivers and tight ends versus corners here. Arguably, their best player resides in this group, which makes a fun matchup given our Dolphins wide receivers and what Hill and Waddle have done this year. And you pair Alexander's ability with his confidence and bravado and trash talk. That makes me pretty excited to see what happens on Sunday. I know Jair and Tyreek will probably have a good time on Sunday with that. He is back to himself after a year of injuries for him last season. Just a 66.7 passer rating against 55% completion, and that's on 61 targets. Now, the one number that isn't like the others is the yards per catch. He's letting up 15 yards per catch this year and a buck 64 after the catch. So there have been some big plays on him, 506 yards in total allowed. And that's part of the deal with a player of his caliber. He plays so aggressively that you might have an opportunity here or there, but you better hit them because he'll get you uh, on the chances that he does take and make his own plays. Four picks this year, seven pass breakups. He's got 11 picks and 42 pass breakups in his fifth year here. He's an elite ball hawk, a man coverage savant. He's been asked to play more zone the last couple of years. They haven't been a travel defense. He primarily plays on the left side. Nixon plays on the right side and for Stokes, and then Douglas plays in the slot. So we'll see. I, I don't he might be a guy that I kind of neglect because you look at the rest of the crew here. Uh, Douglas, 38 for 52, 415, four touchdowns and three picks. And that's that's one thing. But 4640 with explosive metrics, you know, shuttle, three cone, change of direction, broad, vert, all measure under 42 percentile among cornerbacks. He's a stiff player. Keyshawn Nixon, 22 for 28, 214 yards, no touchdowns and a pick. Good 40 time, but 14th percentile in three cone, 6th percentile in short shuttle, and 22nd percentile in the vert. You get the idea here, right? If it's man coverage, I like our matchups against those stiffer players, Douglas and Nixon, and I just think you look at this and you don't want to shy away from players, but if you start by going after vulnerabilities in an offense, anybody not named Alexander has been that this year for the Packers. Structurally speaking, again, primarily off coverage, as we mentioned in the open, as it operates that cover three defense in general, they play off 81% compared to 19% press, and it's a 69 nice to 31% zone to man differential. Again, I'm just really curious to see what they do, because what they've largely done, or you know, if they altered it all, is play that zone coverage, but teams eventually get to both man and zone a decent number of times. But the reason I have so much indecision here with these is how it looks, and how it looks, I should say, is because I really don't know the right way to defend this Dolphins receiving core. Winning quickly, I think, will be a key because of their blitzing and hitting those big plays. Teams have gotten deep on the Packers this year for a couple of big strikes, as we've seen from Tyreek and Waddle the last few weeks. Could tilt this game and help the defense play from a lead on the other side of the football. Let's go ahead and take our first break and come back and finish up Dolphins offense versus Packers defense. Then we'll go ahead and change over to the other side. We'll do special teams, what's at stake, three keys, plenty to come your way here on the Thursday edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest 
Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then I, his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because they didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. We pick it back up here with what is always a key in any football game, Dolphins offensive line versus the Packers defensive line. Previewing Christmas Day, the 6-8 and eight Green Bay Packers are in town to face the 8-6 and six Miami Dolphins, who desperately need a victory to get back in the winning ways. Uh, we talked a lot about the Miami offensive line on the podcast yesterday, and if it's a sign of things to come heading forward, gosh, you got to be encouraged about the rest of this campaign. Hopefully they can build on that. I keep thinking back to what Teron said about this being a new system, a lot of young players in a new system, and how you kind of have to see things first before you can really apply lessons and teaching moments and take the coaching to really drill it down to be second nature. And now, 14 games into it, maybe we see that tangible progress as we go forward. They typically say year two is when a system starts to become more second nature. And I'll never forget Peyton Manning on, on Peyton Eli last year talking about how it was year three for him when he personally began to feel like the offense was second nature. But if they keep progressing and getting better week by week from here, what a boon that would be. Now, the Packers front, they do a good job of tendency breaking and confusing quarterbacks at times. The Jets tape from October was a good example of that. The Rams tape on Monday was too. Let's go ahead and look at the numbers here from a uh, pressures and run stops perspective. On the inside, the D tackles, Kenny Clark, 37 and 16. Jerron Reed, 25 and 23. And Dean Lowry, 16 and 18. Off the edge, Preston Smith, 37 and 26. Kingsley Anagberry, the rookie, 19 and 16. Quay Walker, 11 and 36. He's more of an off-ball linebacker, but he has snuck down onto the line for a handful of snaps, especially since the Rashawn Gary injury. And speaking of Rashawn Gary, they they haven't been able to replace him. He's a great player. He was lost for the year after Game 9, and he still leads the team in pressures with 38. Huge loss for them as a rusher, but also against the run. A defense that has allowed 11 of 14 teams to run for 100 yards on them and allowed 5 yards per carry, the third most in the National Football League this year. But more specifically, the average rushing numbers off of either edge, off tackle, against the Green Bay Packers in the five games since Gary went down per pro football focus looks like this. 59 rush attempts for 307. That's 5.2 per carry and four touchdowns on those particular runs. So Smith and the rookie, uh, and I can't say it, and Nagberry are almost identical body types at 6'4", 265. It's, it's 258 for the rookie. Length and burst are hallmark traits for both, and Gary, Gary certainly fit that mold as well. And then Quay Walker is as strong as it gets, one of the best at playing through contact and off blocks of anybody I scouted all last cycle. On the inside, Kenny Clark's first step sets up so much of, of what they can do, kind of like Adam Butler did for the Patriots and Dolphins for a year here in terms of how his quickness displaces a gap and that creates chances for the second-level defenders to come down and fill and blitz, as the Packers love to do. And Jerron Reed plays similarly football. Uh, our guys have their hands full this week, and it's a good matchup of good on good because we talked all year about Brandon Shell's brute strength off the edge. That matches the Packers' play style. And then that quickness inside matches what we have with Big Rob and Connor and Rob Jones and you know Teron and Rob Jones, a little bit of both of those things. But they all kind of match up in, in a good way, or a fun way, I should say. It's a great test to see if this group can build upon a 
a great showing last week. It's cliche to say this, but if Miami can win in the trenches in this game, it should be a lot of fun for the offense come Sunday. Running backs versus linebackers. Raheem Mostert coming off his best game as a Miami Dolphin. That juice was awesome to see. I thought he looked fast, strong, decisive. Part of that thing we discussed earlier, getting more and more comfortable, not just in the particular system, but further developing relationships with the guys in front of you. The Packers' primary backer, that rhymes, has been Quay Walker, the rookie, who we talked about earlier. 711 snaps, a ton of run stops, and the primary rusher from that position with 56 pass rush snaps compared to just 18 for Devondre Campbell. Really, the blitz numbers, they come from that kind of 5-2 look with both edges coming off the off either edge, and that's how they did it with Preston and Zadarius Smith in years past and what they're doing now with Gary and his breakout campaign before he got hurt. Now, Packers have the eight most missed tackles, 109 per pro football focus, and Raheem made a lot of tacklers miss last week, so did Savon Ahmed, and if we get Jeff Wilson back, that's kind of his game too, right? So yards after initial contact could help Miami stay ahead of the chains and or hit explosive runs as a result. Earlier, we mentioned the Packers' backers and how their plates are full in coverage. Here are the numbers. Walker, 25 for 35, 248 yards and a touchdown. And then Campbell, 38 of 47 for 305, a touchdown and a pick. Let's go ahead and move on to the Miami defense versus the Green Bay offense, who the defense has the second fewest points allowed at home this season, and it is home sweet home back at Hard Rock Stadium. Now, quarterback Aaron Rodgers, Packers offense versus the Dolphins safeties and the defense and as we know, it's an offense that doesn't fall very far from our own tree. Lots of zone running, lots of ball out quick, lots of pre-snap motions and shifts. And another coach who our coach has worked with in Matt LaFleur. Still amazing to me how many brilliant minds they had under one roof back in those days in D.C. And this is one of the more fun offenses to watch on tape as far as our opponents go this season. I'm sure that's the combination of a brilliant offensive mind in LaFleur and a quarterback who has seen everything. They ran this really cool flood concept against the Rams on Monday night where they had the layers to displace various portions of that Rams defense at the short, intermediate, and deep level, middle of the field. Then they hit the backside dig to the X, taking advantage of that space. They scheme up throws that give you easy answers, easy solutions, and first downs. So you kind of have to just accept that because high functioning offenses like that with good coaches and good quarterbacks are going to get that. You have to rally and find ways to make plays when they don't have that right. As far as how they align, again, similarities, man. 11 personnel is 58%, 12 personnel is 30 or 29%, and 21 personnel is 10%. What's interesting about that 10% two-back, one tight end package, they don't have a fullback on the roster. They do have some tight ends that can give you that quasi-fullback role, but that wouldn't go in 21 personnel. Uh, They like to get Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon on the field together. Dillon is a big guy, as big as a fullback. They run a lot of that inside zone play from the toss that we saw get popularized in San Francisco and not ran as much here as I thought it would be. Uh, As far as Aaron Rodgers' numbers this year against the Blitz, he's 66% completion with 7.6 yards per pass, seven touchdowns and two picks. When not blitzed, same completion rate, but a full yard per attempt lower at 6.6, and then 16 touchdowns to eight picks. All the best longtime quarterbacks, you don't want to blitz them. When he's pressured, 46%, 5.7 yards per pass, four touchdowns and two picks. On deep passing, 15% of their throws go 20-plus yards down the field. They complete 35% for just 10.2 yards per attempt. We talked about that with the Chargers and Niners offense previously. That's about where they were. And then the Bills had a much uh, deeper YPA on the deep passes. The Packers have had 
issues getting the ball vertically down the field this year. 10 touchdowns and four picks on those deep shots. And then a 5.6% sack rate is 11th fewest in the National Football League. And just in general, talking about the deep shots and the timing, him and his receivers just haven't really got on the exact same page. It's a kind of like the Patriots used to be for a long time with Brady. Like, you draft these young guys and it's hard to get them brought to speed quickly because it's so complex and there's so many side adjustments and things that if you're not on Brady's level, it's tough to execute at the same level as him. And there was that story about the hand signals that he poo-pooed on the Pat McAfee show. They just don't separate all that well. And hopefully it's a chance for us to get some confidence going forward and not a game where we all say afterwards, well, that was Aaron Rodgers and vintage Rodgers, right? We've been saying a lot this year, hopefully not the case here. Frankly, aside from the running game, the best thing about the Packers offense to me is Rodgers' ability to play make. You know, he's the original off-platform throw guy. Even at age 38, he's still got some of that in his game. His time to throw on plays where he's pressured is just under four seconds, which tells you he's plenty capable of getting out on the edge and winning from there. Now, it's not like Josh Allen where he's liable to rip off a 45-yard run with his legs where he runs over tacklers and goes helicopter John Elway mode, but he wants to attack the line of scrimmage to throw the football. So in that sense... It's not like you need to pull Javon Holland down into the spy role like we saw last week when he bluffed what looked like robber coverage and then just kind of kept closing ground on Allen and what a play that was to get him to the ground on third and long and what a game in general it was from the snowman. And you saw the blitz numbers. It's tough to confuse Rodgers. It might be as simple as the best way to beat this guy, this offense, this team, is to try to win one-on-ones with your front, play coverage, and force him to hitch up, hitch up, hitch up, and hopefully you're home by that point. I thought Miami had a commendable effort given how shorthanded they were in the game. Hopefully we get to see Eric Rowe back. Uh, Dawson Knox had a big game. I think that's a pretty direct correlation there. And Elijah Campbell back at safety as well this Sunday. Holland's speed and range will be needed against somebody like Christian Watson who runs vertical routes a lot. Speaking of Christian Watson, takes us into the cornerbacks versus the receivers and tight ends. He can fly. He's hit some highest top speeds and next-gen stats this year. He's turned into a true touchdown maker. Seven touchdowns receiving, one rushing this year on just 29 catches. He's an intriguing matchup here because of how well Miami has defended the deep portion of the field. His average depth of target is a team-high 13.5 yards, so Watson going deep. Typically, maybe we'll see Holland uh, capping those off. But Alan Lazard is also the top target in this offense. 76 targets this year are 23 more than the next wide receiver, both Aaron Jones and Robert Tanyan between the two of those guys. But that speaks to the strength of the offense. The backs and the tight ends have been where the offense has funneled primarily through. Lazard is is also just like Watson, a huge frame, but not the burner that he is. And then Romeo Dobbs is no small man either, 6'2", 204. So they go 6'5", 6'4", 6'2", and then Tanya, their top tight end, is 6'5". He was a big downfield threat last year, but his A dot this year is just 5.5. Really what I'm trying to get at is we haven't seen a receiving core like this one in terms of their size. I always like X in a battle that's going to be about physicality. I think Cater has shown well in that regard, even if he's giving five or six inches of height on some of these guys. And that's also evident in his tackling. And then from there, it's, I mean, every week we have this conversation, right? X and Cater, and then what's what's next? Um, I suppose it's about who's available and how do we want to approach it? We continue to see a mix of Crossan and Igbenogany and thought he played pretty well on Saturday. And Justin Bethel, and those guys had to take some kind of safety reps as well because of the, the depth at the position last week. So much of the Packers game, is set up through the run and the screen game, though. So really, Aaron Jones as a receiver is one of my main focuses here. He has the most catches on the team, 52, and he's also scored five times through the air. 
Let's go ahead and take our last break right there and come back on the other side, finish the last two position groups on this side of the football. We'll do what's at stake and the three keys. That's next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think you could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he didn't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our final segment here on a Thursday preview edition, the pre-Christmas edition, and a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays to all of you out there and whatever you celebrate. I hope it's a great holiday for you and your loved ones. Let's go ahead and pick it back up with the offensive line versus defensive line, the Dolphins' defense versus the Packers' offense. And I think this is where... You can impact the passing game to the point of taking away those deep shots that they want to get downfield to Watson in a speed sense, and then also those back shoulder kind of 50-50 high point balls to Lazard that they throw to that X position. Uh, David Bakhtiari had an emergency appendectomy a couple weeks ago. Doesn't sound like he'll be back. Against the Rams, it was uh, Zach Tom at left tackle, Elton Jenkins, Josh Myers, John Runyon Jr., and Josh Nijman. Uh, the pressure numbers are really good across the board. It's it's basically 25 pressures allowed by Nijman, and then the rest are all like less than 20, and they've all played a lot of snaps this year. Rodgers' time to throw is nine hundredths of a second longer than Tua. He also gets it out fast, what I'm trying to tell you. And the line's held up pretty well given all the injuries. Zach Tom shows up as a day three pick and gives them a pretty really good option you know, for the unavailable Bakhtiari in his absence, and, and Tom can play right tackle when Bakhtiari comes back too. Not many teams can replace a guy like that. Nijman had a rough game against the Rams, but man, he's been good all year. Just two sacks allowed. Leonard Floyd's a pretty tough ask, and he got four pressures on the Green Bay right tackle. But what I saw that was successful there was a lot of what I think Jalen Phillips does well this year, where he rushes upfield and kind of cross that crossover step and swipe the hands away, and that change of direction back inside is too fast for most tackles to handle. Maybe we see some of that this week. This is why I get so geeked up about this stuff, man. Nijman has that tape against Floyd to prepare for Jalen, and I can't wait to see if he takes advantage of it or gets beat by it again. That's what makes this game so fascinating every week, right? If we are going to limit this Green Bay offense, we need Bradley Chubb to best a rookie at left tackle in situations when they leave him one-on-one, and if they help him, then it's JP time. So that's kind of my focus here. If you're going to help on Chubb, JP, go get it done. If you're going to help on the other side, Bradley Chubb, go get the job done. We need you guys against this quarterback that you don't want to blitz. Miami has plenty of rushers that primarily play the opposite side, like Chubb and Melvin Ingram. That's a hell of a lot to ask 
for a rookie to go up against pass rush experience of those two guys. So if the youngster can hold up in this matchup, man, they have to feel really good about what they have there in Zach Tom. Big test for him this week and, and for Miami too. You got to get pressure on Rodgers and one-on-one opportunities with your best rushers. That's how you beat him. Inside, Elton Jenkins is one of the best guards in football. Then in second year, center Josh Myers and third year, right guard John Runyon Jr. Runyon's been awesome. Really good in pass pro, great technique. It's funny how that happens with guys like him and Pat Sertan II, like who have fathers who are legends of the game. And they're averaging 5.9 yards per rush off the B gap to the right side behind Runyon. Same story with Chris, uh, Josh Myers. I almost said Chris Myers. Second rounder from Ohio State, and what a career he had there. Had one game against the Lions this year with three pressures allowed, but it's a bunch of zeros and ones other than that. Now, while we praise them, you guys know that we have in that position as well with Christian and Zach Sealer. That's kind of the matchup of the game for me. How do Christian and Zach compete against that side of the line? If we get consistent wins there, keep the Packers in that long down and distance where they have to run deeper routes and hold the ball longer, then I think we have a great shot at victory. Otherwise, the Packers will be able to sustain drives, keep our offense off the field, make it a tight game. Running backs and linebackers, we arrive at arguably the strength of the Packers football team. PFF loves Jones and Dylan, and I don't blame them. The grades are great, but look at the tangible stats here. Missed tackles forced. Jones has 49. Dylan has 18. It's 5.2 and 4.3 yards per carry for the individuals. On top of what we mentioned in the passing game, Jones is 3.27 yards after initial contact on average, is 10th among all running backs. We have at least 100 carries. He's fifth in missed tackles forced, and he's scheme flexible. PFF has him with 115 runs from zone, 64 in gap man scheme. It's 91-61 for Dylan. So they do a good job of keeping you guessing in the running game, which tells you your eyes are very important because like in our offense, plenty of eye candy, false keys, pre-snap, shifting and motioning. And since we play a lot of that two-gap read-react style that Wilkins has really perfected, again, makes for a fun matchup here. Now at linebacker, Jones in the passing game, man, that's the Packers' most dangerous threat from what I see on tape. You cannot lose Aaron Jones in the wash. You can't afford to get him out wide in one-on-one situations against our linebackers, especially with two-way goes. We've seen that the last couple of weeks too often, and it's burned us a few times. And if you call on Jerome and Duke in that coverage rush speed deal with Jones, well, Landon Roberts, we've got a matchup for you, my friend. He's playing so well moving downhill this year. That's just go forward, young man. And uh, he'll need it again here. I thought the Browns game was his biggest test and his best game, which is obviously awesome to see. Now, A.J. Dillon, six foot, 250 pounds. And that great video from the Wisconsin minor league baseball game a couple summers ago in which he decisively won an Oklahoma drill <laughs> against the mascot. Uh, I'm not sure there's a tougher tackle in the NFL than him. He's a short yardage maven. He can take your eyes off Jones and those two back sets too. And the more I dove into this matchup across the board, the more I'm realizing how good it is. Let's go ahead and get into the margins and special teams. Mentioned how well I thought Miami played on teams last week. They saw a good jump in DVOA from 32nd dead last up to 29th. The Packers are 27th, so... Two teams looking to get right more on special teams. Quietly, Jason Sanders found his stroke. He's 9 for 9 on field goals and 8 for 8 on PATs the last four weeks. He's 21 for 25 this season, which is actually 10% up from his rate last year. Thomas Morstead had that punt down the two-yard line on Saturday night. His rate of punts inside the 20-yard line is now over 40 at 40.4%, 4 4 4 4 and his touchback rate is just 3.8%. 
40.3 gross yards per punt for Thomas Morstead. And for the pack, Mason Crosby, 16 of 19. He's been there forever. Uh, he's 0 for 2 on 50-plus kicks, and he has one miss in the 40 to 49 range. So maybe we can force some long field goals and get some good field position that way this game. And then Pat O'Donnell has a touchback rate of just 2.1 and an inside the 20-yard line rate of 47.9%. His net is 40. What's at stake? A lot. There's a chance Miami can clinch uh, by week 17, if the results fall a certain way this week, that's the Jets losing tonight. Dolphins win here and then win again against the Patriots. Boom, you're in the playoffs. So what's at stake besides shrinking your magic number to potentially one with two games to go? Keeping pace with the Ravens and Chargers and the seeding as well. Chargers have the Colts on Monday night. Ravens get the Falcons on Saturday. I don't expect them to lose those games, but if they do, we could jump uh, either of those teams. That's really it. A loss could potentially knock you back into the in-the-hunt category, and after being 8-3, and three, I don't want that to happen at all. Also, stop the bleeding. The last time these teams lost, this team lost three straight games, they hit their stride. But hitting a stride, again, starts with a strong performance at home in a time slot where you're the only game on, and that's three straight weeks of that. So another chance to put on a great performance here for a national audience, and I expect big things from this Dolphins team in this game. Three keys. Number one, attack the edges in the running game. We mentioned it already. Without Rashawn Gary, it's been tough going for them out there, out wide. Continue to hit explosives in the passing game. This Packers defense has been liable to that at times with some spacing and zone issues. Go after that with what you do best to 10 and 17 and then limit Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon's production. Everything funnels through those two backs. Shut them down. Their offense will struggle. That's it. That's my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice, our Twitter Spaces show every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Also, the postgame show on 560 WQAM and all the international podcasts here on our network also the youtube channel for dolphins today as well as some fish tank and drive time content and media availabilities and last but not least miamidolphins.com caroline and cameron daddy's coming home